I think it's good as a community of Christians, especially as the world around us feels a little darker. I'm not going to say is darker. The world's always dark. It feels darker. It's especially important in these kinds of seasons to band together and remind each other, what's this about? It's about King Jesus. It's about following him. So that's what we hope uh, we'll keep doing this every year, God willing, and we'd love to have all you guys out here uh, or join us next year for that. Hey, uh, speaking of the dark world, right? You ever wondered what on earth is going on in this world? Did you ever wonder how, how God can let people get away with the things that seem to happen? Why is all this taking place and then why isn't God doing something about it, right? And, and maybe you've asked in the midst of that, what's my role? Things, things out there feel so dark, they feel so uh, overwhelming, what do I do in it? And honestly, I think if, if we're truly honest, right, many of us, we just think, okay, I'm going to put my head down, I'm just going to do life, I'm going to try to make the, I'm just going to make it through, try to make this as comfortable as I can for myself, right? Does that sound familiar? Hey, if, if those are questions that you've asked, if you have ever felt confusion that way, confused about this world and the chaos in it, confusion about you and your role and what should you do. This passage is for you. This sermon is for you. We're going to be preaching from Habakkuk, chapter 2, starting in verse 6. I should probably should have given you a heads up. Those of you who have been here a while know when I'm up here, we're preaching in Habakkuk, so it gives you time to try to find this tiny minor prophet. Uh, but for those of you who uh, maybe this is the first time hearing even the name Habakkuk, I'm sorry. Uh, you can always find where it's located in the table of contents here. So would you stand with me as together we read this long passage, and it might seem kind of confusing, and how are we going to get a sermon out of this? Uh, but we will. Habakkuk 2, starting in verse 6. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles? For him and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own, for how long? And loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors rise suddenly, and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them. Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnants of the people shall plunder you, for the blood of man and the violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You've devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life. For the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork will respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds, it on, founds a city on iniquity. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that people labor merely for fire and that nations weary themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath, you make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter shame will come upon you and your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them, for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. 
What prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies, for its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, and to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver. There is no breath in it at all, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. It's the true word, the living God. He gives it to you because he loves you. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I ask now that you would move. Um, goodness, Lord, we often feel like Habakkuk. We can feel confused by the darkness around us. We can feel confused about our role and what are we supposed to do in the midst of it. And Jesus, you are on your throne. And I pray that you would use today's sermon to bring courage into our hearts, that you would remind us of what you see, Lord, when, we, when what we see is so limited by our current experience. Father, would you give us courage to move out into your world? Because Jesus, you deserve honor, you deserve glory. Your vision has never changed. Your mission has never changed. Would you touch our hearts with this? For your sake and your glory, we pray. Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. Yeah, this whole like staying in one spot, it's not actually working, is it? All right, hey, uh, a quick review for those of you who haven't been with us. Uh, here's where we've been so far in the book of Habakkuk, all right? So Habakkuk starts off saying, Lord, don't you care at all the wrong that's happening in your people? All the wrong that's happening in your church, as it were? Uh, and the Lord says, I do care, Habakkuk. I am doing something about it. I'm sending an invading army, which of course Habakkuk's natural response is, what? How? Like, how is that an answer? Uh, how, how is it an answer to have your rebellious people overcome by an even more rebellious people like the Babylonians? The Lord says the thing that he probably would say to you most often in your life. He tells Habakkuk these two words. Trust me. Trust me, Habakkuk. And then he goes on to explain after that passage, trust me, we get to our... our, our uh, passage, these several verses here. The trouble is, we still have a problem, right? It's all great and everything to hear, trust me from the Lord, but what's currently going on? According to God's plan, the Babylonians are running rampant all over the Habakkuk's known world, right? And that's a problem, not just because nobody likes a bully. It's a problem because it looks like the Babylonians win. And if the Babylonians win, and it seemed the whole rest of the Habakkuk's world would have interpreted that as, oh, the Babylonian gods, Marduk, Bel, that pantheon, they are mightier than Yahweh, the Lord, the God of Israel. Everybody else would have looked at that and said, well, if Israel is subjected, then Yahweh, the Lord, must be subjected before the gods of Babylon. Yahweh's powerless. He can't keep his people from, from the attacks of the enemy. Like all the other gods out there have crumbled before the gods of the Babylonians, Marduk, Nabu, and the rest of them. Yahweh must be no different. And the Lord responds here, very last verse of our passage. The Lord is in his holy temple. I am enthroned in my holy temple. Oh no, 
I'm king. It may not look like it. You may be wondering how this is set up. Um, The rest of the world may be confused by this, but I am king. And since Babylon, kingdoms have come and kingdoms have crumbled, but the Lord has remained king. Counter kingdoms crumble before the true king and his kingdom. So that gets us to our sermon. We're going to have two points today. We're going to talk about Babylon and uh, how it is a counter kingdom and the ways of the counter kingdom. And point number two is we're going to take a look at the, the true kingdom and God's vision for it and his mission for us. So Babylon as the kind of climax of what it means to be a counter kingdom and then the kingdom that we were made for, okay? All right, so quickly, we've got to define what a counter kingdom is. Um, we'll get to the passage here in a second, but these are the things you guys need to know ahead of time. Um, a counter kingdom is any entity that could be political, economic, academic, social, individual, whatever, any entity that does not acknowledge the Lord as the ultimate authority and his right as maker and God to rule. Hey, here's the logic of the Bible, right? It's it's pretty simple. Um, God makes everything. Everything has its source and continued sustenance in him. The, the, The fact that we, like anything exists, comes from God. The fact that anything continues to exist, the fact that your molecules still cohere, like science may explain that you're made up of those molecules, but it doesn't, it doesn't explain, okay, well, uh, why, like really, why is any of this? How does this all work? Like how, who holds it together? The answer is God. God holds it all together. So God makes it, he, he sustains it, and therefore, because he's the maker and sustainer, he owns it right? Kind of makes sense. He made it. He owns it. Therefore, he gets to make the rules. And because he's a good God and his ways are good, therefore, those rules are for our flourishing, right? And anything that doesn't submit to the Lord and his ways stands in rebellion to God, okay? Uh, And and as, as something that stands in rebellion, it's, it is a rival kingdom. If God has his kingdom, then anything that stands opposite to that is a rival kingdom. It is a counter kingdom. It exists as this havoc wreaking parasite on the actual kingdom of God. Um, this, this might be worth an excursion. Um, in the United States, we kind of, rebellion is in some sense sort of celebrated. We like a good rebel. We like someone who stands up against the system. We like somebody who bucks things. Y'all, um, rebellion ain't cool. It's not. In the Bible, like, rebellion is something to be squashed. And most of the rest of the world uh, where rebellions happen frequently, they understand this. Bloodshed, chaos, destruction. Those are the results of real rebellion. Last time we had a rebellion in this country, like a substantial one, half a million, more than half a million Americans died. Rebellion is something that, it is a parasite wreaking havoc on the true kingdom, okay? Okay, so if, that, if that's the case, if that's what a counter kingdom is, well, how is Babylon a counter kingdom? Well, pretty simple, right? Babylon didn't acknowledge the Lord, God, 
as God. Instead, they served their own gods. They gave Marduk credit for all the wealth and prestige and military might they enjoyed. Uh, And as a result, they also naturally didn't live in accordance to God's ways. They followed their own ways. And we'll look a little bit about what those um, counter-kingdom ways look like here in a bit. Okay. And the Bible's full of counter-kingdoms, but Babylon kind of became a, a symbol, a code word for the counter-kingdom. So throughout, from this point on in history, throughout the Bible, often the, the, the counter-kingdom out there, the system of the world that is set up in opposition to the Lord is kind of called Babylon. Because up to that point, like the Babylonians were probably the most impressive empire. Wealth, prestige, military might, Uh, They had it all. But counter kingdoms aren't just something you find in the Bible, right? Let me ask you this question. Do the spheres that you tend to occupy day to day, do they acknowledge the Lord as the ultimate authority and his right as maker and God to rule and influence the decisions made? I mean, odds are no, right? There are spheres that do that, but odds are, in general, no. Uh, Which means, as Christians, we live most of our lives as the Lord's agents in counter kingdoms. Here's why I'm bringing this home. This matters. Matters to you. This affects your daily life, okay? You spend, most likely, the bulk of your days in a counter kingdom. However... News gets worse. It has to get worse before it gets better, right? Um, Not only do we live in counter kingdoms, the Bible teaches we are counter kingdoms, right? Every single human being is their own little counter kingdom. We are born into this world rebelling against God, resisting real relationship with him, wanting to have our own independence, right? Refusing to submit to him. And so there isn't a single person here on this planet or in this room that perfectly acknowledges the Lord as the ultimate authority, right? And God's right as maker and God to rule over every area of our lives. Even after we've like submitted and we say, all right, Lord, I'm laying down my arms. I'm coming to you as king. We still have to fight that rebellious spirit in us that constantly wants to buck what God says and his ways, We don't just live in rival counter kingdoms, we are the rival counter kingdoms. Because it's so easy in our day to blame the system, the big bad system. Yeah, systems can be counter kingdoms, but they are counter kingdoms because of us, each and every one of us. And maybe you think that's a stretch, all right? So the best way to address this then is to like look at the ways of the counter kingdom. What does it look like? How do, how do people who, who live, who are cities, citizens of the counter kingdom, what does that look like for them? And so now we're going to, tur- we're going to turn to our passage. In our passage, just quickly, uh, a quick word on structure. Our passage is arranged into five woes. A woe is like an indictment. So God comes, he brings his indictment against the Babylonians, and he says, hey, here are the wrong things you're doing. And because of these things, here's what you can expect. Okay? And here's a spoiler alert. The king says, rival kingdoms are going down. A couple of caveats uh, before we get into looking at the ways of the counter kingdom. Um, Guys, 
There are so many different ways we could try to preach this passage, um, but here's what we're gonna do today, okay? We're gonna briefly explain, uh, okay, two things we're gonna do. We're gonna explain, and then we're gonna examine, all right? We're gonna briefly look at or try to identify the heart of each woe. What is God saying? Here's my indictment. Here is the problem with the counter kingdom, okay? We're gonna look at that, then we're gonna examine. We're gonna ask ourselves, do I see myself? in this indictment? How does my heart match up to this? Okay, and here's why. It may seem a little morbid, but y'all, if we're living in a counter kingdom, if we are a counter kingdom, we need to know it. We don't wanna be rebels, not against this king. Okay. Um, and then uh, another quick caveat is, some of the things mentioned here will be, are good, right? There's some good things that God will often also offer to his people. They may be good, but they cannot be ultimate, though. That's the problem. Um, if the thing that, you, that, that you're pursuing is a good thing, but you've made it the ultimate thing, then you've made it a God, and therefore it becomes a rival and a counter kingdom to the true God, all right? So those are the quick caveats. Let's dive in. So verses six through eight, first woe. The Lord indicts Babylon for their wealth, their pursuit of wealth and comfort at the expense of others. They pursued wealth and comfort at the expense of others. All right, the imagery here is actually really straightforward, pretty self-explanatory. Uh, we're looking at the, the images of an unjust like loan shark or a plunderer who, who advances themselves by taking other people's things, right? Uh, making their own life comfortable through extortion, through theft. Literally, y'all, this is what Babylon did. It invaded neighboring nations, slaughtered people, took their things back to Babylon. Fairly straightforward, right? So here's where we examine ourselves. What are you willing to do for money and for comfort? What are you willing to do for money and for comfort? Are people hurt because you feel entitled to a comfortable lifestyle? All right, this is just, just one, one way we could take this, but let's just talk about stealing a little bit. You stealing from your employer. You stealing from school, from department stores, from restaurants, from the producers of the entertainment you consume, or that 10% of your income that the Lord requires for himself? Uh, if, if, if you are a boss, are you running your employees into the ground, wearing them out, taking their life so that your business can advance? How far are you willing to go for money and for comfort? All right, so that's wealth and comfort. The other thing that the Lord indicts Babylon for in nine through 11 is security at the expense of others. All right, so Babylon here is portrayed as amassing, uh, like treating other people as commodities uh, in order to build itself a secure nest or home, which is kind of a metaphor for national and dynastic um, uh, security, all right? Which the Babylonian rulers did use. They, they used the wealth that they, that they took from other nations to, 
uh, build Babylon into this impressive fortress with walls like you wouldn't believe. Uh, they've said that like two chariots could ride across the top of the walls. The Babylon was set up so that if you lived in it, you felt safe. You thought this place was impregnable and it all came at the cost of other people's blood and their money, right? All right, so now we examine our hearts. How important is security to you? And who are you willing to use to get it, right? Now, we're not just, physical safety, physical security is one thing. Let's talk about relational security. That might affect us a little bit more. Who are you willing to trash so you can feel in with other people? What are you willing to say or do to others to make yourself feel accepted or wanted or safe? with the person or persons whose attention you really want, right? What price are you willing to pay for security? All right, so verses 12 through 14, and we're blazing through these because the good news is at the end, okay? Um, Verses 12 through 14, the Babylonian rulers are presented here as like they're, they're progressively minded and incredible builders, but it came at huge costs to their subjugated peoples. And as the Lord indicates, uh, all their great building campaigns and everything, these fortified cities that they would build, all that sort of stuff, are just going to end up feeding the fires and the waste heap of history. So here's my question as we examine our hearts, right? What and who are you willing to sacrifice to get a job done? to keep things moving forward the way you see it. Uh, if you work outside the home, here's, this is one that can be painful, okay? Is your family paying the price so that you can work those long hours you think you need to get ahead? Who gets yelled at when you feel like things aren't moving forward the way you want? What and who are you willing to lay down on the altar of progress? Gosh, that hurts. (laughs) Um, Verses 15 through 17. The indictment against Babylon here is they abuse the helpless. Y'all, it's not an unfamiliar scene, right? Like, you can literally go to any college campus, any club, and see kind of what is described happening in verses 15 to 17. It's a graphic image used to show how Babylon was abusing the helpless people, which... Oddly enough, like get this from in, in verse 17, doesn't just include people, it includes animals and like the created order. Babylon was abusing the helpless. So here's, here's where we examine ourselves. How do you respond when you see someone who's helpless? Who do you have power over and how are you using that power, right? Um, parents, because we don't feel enough shame and guilt. But literally, let, let's think about this, right? Um, Is your parenting more about you, about your image, your entitlement, the scars of your past, than it is about your actual kids, right, and their well-being? And here's just something I think it's always good for us to take stock on. Um, what What effect do you have in the environment in which you're placed? The people that you're around, like think about your home, right? Are the people in your home, like how, how are your pets treated, <laughs> right? How, how are the people in your home, how, are they thriving? 
How's, how's your actual physical space? How are you using our power? Especially with those who are helplessly dependent on us. All right, and then ultimately, here's the final indictment, and this is where it all springs from in verses 18 through 20. The ultimate issue with the counter kingdom is idolatry. Idolatry. Idolatry is taking something other than the Lord, some created thing, and putting that at the center of the universe and saying, this is what matters most. Everything else is subservient to this. Everything else can fall by the wayside, but this, this is God. This I protect. This you can't touch, right? And for the Babylonians, those were literally like statues of the warlike gods, but beyond the statue was the power. They liked the power. They liked the wealth. They liked the security. They liked idolatry, right? So what about us? Has this quick run through of the ways of the counter kingdom uncovered any idols in your life? Can I be honest? It has in mine. It's been painful. And I hope it has in yours, right? Uh, Here's why. Um, Because it isn't until you identify the counter kingdom in yourself the idols in yourself, the way that you are running against God and his authority and what he made you for. It isn't until you identify that that then you can turn and find healing in the king who invites you to come, come and submit yourself to him, to submit to his ways and his goodness, okay? All right, so that, that's the bad news. That's the counter kingdom um, and the rebellious kingdoms that we create for ourselves, the parasites that latch onto God's kingdom and just suck, 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 okay? So let's talk about the Lord and his kingdom, what we were made for, all right? So here's the kingdom, and this is God's vision for the kingdom. It starts way back in the garden in the very beginning, right? God creates a garden temple. It's a lavish place of wealth, comfort, security, and the Lord is at its center. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. That's the picture you have in the very beginning. God is in the center, and everything thrives because of that. And so what's God's vision? Well, he sends his human servants to spread that garden kingdom Across the globe, it starts in Eden, it's supposed to spread, right? To take a freshly minted universe, teeming with life and opportunity and possibility, and to turn it into a, this, the, turn the whole universe into this glorious cultivated picture that we have in, in, in Eden. It's not meant for stasis. It's not supposed to just stay the Garden of Eden. There's supposed to be progress, right? And man's role, humanity's role, is to act as God's servants and stewards to spread that kingdom over the earth and to do it in the way God would do it that tenderness and that care, that love. But what happens? You know, this, this is a well-worn story, right? We rebel. Our first parents were deceived into believing they could be kings and not servants. So now we have rival kingdoms. If the, kingdom, if the world was created to be God's kingdom, now we have all these little rival kingdoms popping up everywhere, these counter kingdoms, and they bring devastation to the Lord's world. But in all of that, God's vision remains and so he calls a slave people out of Egypt and he leads them to the crossroads of the world if you look at where Israel is centered it is literally crossroads of three continents the whole world walked through that space they were supposed to be a light to the world a shining example of what it looks like when God reigns in the midst of his people when when the kingdom is functioning the way it should 
Guess what? Even before they enter the land, right as they're standing there on the border, they rebel again. And it is in the context of that rebellion that we hear these words from Numbers 14, 21. They're saying, we're not gonna enter the land. And we hear what Habakkuk will later quote here in verse uh, 14. God's vision statement. God says this, Numbers 14, 21. Truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. It's God's vision statement. It hasn't changed. His intent for, the way, for the, where things are going has not changed. There won't be a corner in this universe that isn't overflowing with the Lord's glory, shining uh, it, it, with a beauty that reflects God and his character. That's his vision, right? And counter kingdoms continue. God's people end up looking far more not like the light to the world at the crossroads of the universe, but like all the other counter kingdoms around them, right? So what happens? The king himself comes. King Jesus comes. And he lives as the light to the world in the crossroads of the center of the world. He lives as the light of the world and he shows us the kingdom ways in counter to the counter kingdom ways. So let's run through those real quick. The counter kingdom is all about wealth and comfort at the expense of others. He gives up, King Jesus gives up wealth and comfort that we can't imagine so that he can bring us back, give to us the, the comfort and the, and, 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 and the prosperity that we lost when we rebelled against God. That prosperity being him primarily, right? Um, and now as a Christian, and, and, and y'all, as, as we work through this, here's what, what I'm gonna ask you. If you saw if we're looking at the counter kingdom ways and you're examining your heart, examine your heart with this one too, right? Do, do these things, do you, are you following your king? Are you matching your king in this, okay? Um, and so the king, instead of grasping after wealth and comfort, he gives them up and he then gives lavishly and generously. And he calls his people to do the same, trusting that he will provide for us, right? So he he gives up wealth and comfort. Jesus also lays aside his security. He, he goes willingly, knowingly to his death at the hand of rebels so that he can bring us back into the, the safety of his kingdom. And as, as Christians who follow our king, we can now give up our own sense of safety, our own sense of security, right? We can risk, y'all, we can risk everything knowing it lies in the Lord's hands and he will take care of us. Even death will not win. So we can give up comfort and wealth. We can give up security. King Jesus approaches progress in a backwards kind of way. <laughs> you ever thought about that? Uh, Israel may have been the crossroads of the world, but good night, why was Jesus hanging out in Galilee of all places? He's hanging out in these backwoods territories and he's, he's uh, uh, raising up a bunch of local yokels, you know, to be, his, to be his front runners, his emissaries. But Jesus reminds us the king defines and drives progress, not us. Y'all, 
God's kingdom's on the move and we get to be a part of it, he doesn't need you to make this kingdom happen. You aren't essential to his mission. He invites you into it. But progress happens in ways that would blow any CEO's mind here in, the, here in our country, right? You pick the lowly, the helpless, the weak, the broken, the shattered. You send them to do an impossible task. And success is guaranteed because the one who actually does that is God himself, right? So the Lord redefines progress and sends us to serve faithfully, but he gives the results. All right, so the king also stood up against the abuses of the helpless. He brought them healing and wholeness and ultimately suffered abuse at the hands of the people that he came for. And y'all, he sends us as his servants to have a special care and concern for the helpless. That's why we do things like Gen Hope, right? Because we care for people who no one else is caring for, who are down and out on their luck, who need help. Because ultimately, our faith is built on the idea that every single one of us here are helpless. And we would stay helpless if the king hadn't moved toward us to help. So we get to move uh, the way he does, right? And finally, the king comes smashing idols and crushing counter kingdoms, but he doesn't do this with armies or with force, which is what everybody thought he was gonna do. Instead, he comes showing how inadequate our counter kingdoms are, right? To give us what we're actually craving. He comes to crush counter kingdoms by dying for rebels, to free us from the rebellion of our own hearts. And then he sends us as his followers into the world to to carry this good news that, hey, the king has come, and guess what? He's issuing pardons to rebels, and he's taking you back in, not just as a subject who's rebelled against him, he's taking you back in as a daughter and as a son. That's good news. And that's what we get to go out into the world and proclaim, right? Okay, so that's the vision. That's God's vision. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. There is not gonna be a single space here on earth in the universe that doesn't reflect back to God who he is, what his priorities are, and he's using us to do that. It's a great and glorious vision. And now his mission, right? If 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 that's the goal, what's his mission for you? All right, hey, if, if, you're not, if you're not a Christian here today, um, then your mission right now, in one word, is just this. Submit. Submit. Hey, will you, will you recognize, like, take stock of your own kingdom. How are things going? How's it going being your own ruler and running things your way? And I think if we're honest... Because you could ask anybody here in this room, whenever we seize control of our own lives, I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how well adjusted you are. I don't care what kind of family you came out of. I don't, like, things go haywire. We don't do a good job running our own kingdoms, right? So here's, here's the call to you if you're a non-Christian, but even if you're a believer, submit. Where are those areas in your life where the Lord isn't ruling as, as king? And will you submit? Submit to the God who loves you and who will care for you. 
because it's only in doing so that you'll discover what you're made for, right? All right, and Christian, here, this is more specifically to you. Um, Will you recognize your purpose? Will you recognize what God made you for, right? Um, Let me ask you that question. What do you see as your primary purpose? Y'all, the king didn't come and he didn't die so that you could go to the college of your choice, so that you could get married to a fine, godly person, if that's what's in your, in, in your future. Didn't want you to have an awesome marriage with great sex to raise a handful of little angels, to do a little church here with a few good friends, to retire comfortably with a nest egg, and live out your day somewhere on some sunny beach. That sounds good, right? That's what, that's, that's the vision that we see in front of our TVs and on the news and all that sort of stuff, don't we? What's the problem with that vision, though? It's all about me. The spotlight of that camera is entirely on me the whole time. Let me tell you what, that kind of life is not satisfying. Ask the people who've done that. Is that life satisfying? God has a bigger vision for you, a a grander purpose. The king has a vision and he's made you a part of that and involves you. Its vision is to fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, to turn the kingdoms of this world into the kingdom of our God. And we are the king's servants on that mission. Don't you want to be a part of that? All right, so what does that look like? What does it look like to be on mission, to, to pursue this, to pursue a grander purpose, something that's going to outlive you. It's going to outlive whatever inheritance you pass on to your kids. All right, here's some practical tips. First, uh, invite people, right? Invite folks to to worship, to church. Here's why we do this. Because every Sunday, this shows the world something different. Shows the world what it looks like when God is in the center again. When finally all the like the frustrations and the buildup of, of the week, we can kind of lay those aside for a little bit and we can think about God on his throne. We can think about the other people around us. This, this is our act of rebellion. This is us pushing back as rivals to the rival kingdom, right? This is telling the world, this is what you were made for. We want to invite people into that to experience this, to experience God, right? It's not because we got great worship and great, like, whatever it is. It's, it's because we want them to experience God, okay? So invite people. Um, and then second, I'm going to just throw out some uh, just practical questions for you to think through. Where has God placed you? I want you to think through all the different spheres that you are in. Where has God placed you? What are your spaces? Okay. Now, how does the Lord's kingdom need to break in in those spaces? How are those spaces operating in a way that is counter to the Lord, right? And here's what I'd encourage you to do. In fact, we'll probably do this in small groups this week. Pray over these. Pray over, what are my spaces? 
Where, where's the darkness? Where is this space acting as a, as a counter kingdom, as a rebellion against the Lord? And I'm gonna start praying over that and asking that God changes that and transforms that, okay? Um, and here's your first priority. As, you, as you're thinking through those spaces and you're praying over them, your first priority are the people. What people in those spaces need to know the king because if they don't, they will spend eternity paying for their rebellion. Who are the people in those spaces that need to know the king? And then start praying about them. And then pray for, for like brainstorm with your friends, all that sort of stuff, but pray for ways that you can reach them with the good news. Here's what's not gonna do it, most likely. Leaving a tract on their, on their table. Or sending them a podcast, being like, hey, you know, you really should listen to this because it changed my life. Maybe, maybe it will. But I guarantee you, like, people are transformed by face-to-face interaction with another person, right, who comes to them and says, hey, let me tell you what the king's done for me. Let me tell you what the king's done for me. I'm, I'm a rebel who's been freed from my rebellion. I've been welcomed back, not just as a, not just as a subject. I've been welcomed back as a, as a child. I want that for you. It's good news. If you believe it's good news, then it's easier to share, right? So who are those, who are those people? And then spend some time in your small groups or whatever thinking about, well, how, how, do I, how can I reach them in a way that they'll hear? All right, second priority. If, if the first priority is going into your spaces and identifying the people who need to know the king, second priority is how do you reflect the king's image, your king's image and character in the spaces that you are in, right? Because those spaces are broken. They, they need the king and his ways. So how can you reflect that as his agent, as his emissary there, right? Where are the broken places in your spheres that needs fixing? Uh, and a lot of these are gonna be relational, like how are people engaging with each other? Some of them will be communal, how do we do life together? Uh, and some of these will be systemic, like okay, thinking through the bigger, broader picture how, of how things are done, right? But where does God's kingdom need to break in, in each of those, and how can we reflect that? And then finally, because I'm a missionary kid, and uh, I, just, I think this is important, um, is God calling you to leave this space, to go into some other space where people are less likely to know the king and to be a light and shine for him there? It's a real question. Um, not gonna lay the guilt trip. You know, We're not gonna play some fancy music back here and kind of get your hearts going. No, like, is, unless you ask the question, you'll never know. Is the king calling you from the comfort that you have here to some other place so that people who would never know who he is might know him, okay? All right, so let's wrap up. Here's the question. Are you on mission? Are you on mission? If you feel confused by the chaos of the world and your place in it, then get on mission. Even the noise and the mess of the counter kingdoms, like outside of us and within us, like even in the midst of all that mess, the Lord is enthroned in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. 
God's vision remains the same. He will fill this universe with his glory. As the waters cover the sea, the kingdoms of this world will be the kingdoms of our God. He doesn't need you to make that happen. He invites you to join him in making that happen. The kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God because like mighty Babylon did in so many other sense, counter kingdoms crumble before our true king and his kingdom. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I ask for courage. Um, I, I confess before you and my brothers and sisters, I'm far more like the counter kingdom. It's just spending this whole week thinking about, thinking about this sermon and seeing myself more reflected in the counter kingdom than in your kingdom values. It's hard. It's hard to live the way you've called us to live. But I thank you that we don't do that in our own strength. We follow our Jesus. And so Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come, that you would breathe fresh life into our church, that you'd breathe fresh life into each of my brothers and sisters here. Father, fill us with a passion for you. Fill us with the glorious vision that you have for this universe. And Father, would you set our hearts on fire for it so that we would explode out of this room, eager to bring your truth, your gospel to the world they might see the vision that you have. They might bow the knee before the king. And Jesus, that you might be honored and glorified. We want the kingdoms of this world to be the kingdom of our God. Jesus, let your kingdom come and your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. It's in your name we pray. Amen.